0: Thank you worship team, that was extremely uh, wonderful, Uh, very special, break every chain. I'm pretty sure each and every one of us in here has uh, some kind of chain that needs to be broken, right? Maybe in family or social, economic, sicknesses, we all could use a little bit of help And this morning, uh, this is my prayer for you, for all of us, is that we'll see in this year 2020 that the chains that have wrapped around us for years will begin to be broken, entangled and fallen, that we truly can be free people of God, to walk on the surface of this earth fearless, as he wants us to be because we know where our sight is focused on or we will learn more about it this morning. How you guys doing today? A little cold, no? Come on, it's not that cold. <laughs> it was warmer yesterday though that I know for, the, for sure. Um, um, this morning I woke up surprised of all crazy white stuff, I thought it was over. But it was done. I thought they told me today is Groundhog Day. What's going on? <laughs> no shadow today, I guess, huh? I don't know what's going on. This is crazy. This is crazy. Uh, but hey, it's good to be in Canada, not anywhere else. Trust me. It is really good to be here. And it's even better to be here at Oak Park with, uh, with our church family and, and to get to see you guys. I know uh, many of you. Uh, I've been... Staring at you a while ago, just looking at your watch, just thinking, like, when is Super Bowl gonna start, huh? Just, like, gotta go home and get the popcorn going, and, uh, hi Maybe some of you guys didn't know Super Bowl was going on today. Did you? I don't even watch football. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But anyways, so it's, it's, it's exciting every time that I have a chance to, um, uh, to be here and to share about, uh, uh the Word of God. Um, uh, so this morning... Uh, I will continue as part of the series that Pastor Lane has started and uh, Ron shared with last week, and we'll continue on this, uh, this path of the apocalypse now. The apocalypse now. Uh, so, one of the things that when Lane said he was going to be talking about the apocalypse, of course, the first thing that comes to you is a movie, um, or dark and gloom and... And everything is messed up, scary, ghost, devilish. Um, yeah, these pictures, weird, goof, weird stuff. The book of Revelation is a very strange book. It's, uh, I would say, it's the strangest book of the 66 that we carry in the Bible. Matter of fact, I think the chapter that I get to share with you this morning, that you actually heard read uh, a few minutes ago, I would say it is the strangest chapter in the Bible, or in the book of Revelation. I don't know how I ended up with that chapter to speak on this morning, but anyway, thank you, Lane. But it is a really, really, really strange chapter. I mean, think about it. As you heard it read this morning, you have to be thinking like, well, where's that sermon in here? First of all, we heard a dragon. Uh, We know the dragon in chapter 5 symbolizes Satan, right? Um, he stood on the shore of the sea, and then we saw the beast coming out of the, the sea, and it had ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns, horns, and on and on it goes. I mean, it just, this thing, like, you can't make this thing out. Oh, this is crazy. Um, Reve- the book of Revelation, many people try to stray away from it. It's just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to read my, the whole Bible except for the last one. I just didn't get the chance to read the last part of it because it just, it's, it's nuts. It goes all over the place. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to bore you of trying to read uh, 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 the whole thing again, uh, but one, one thing that I want to let you know is that this, this chapter, chapter 13, even the first 10 verses that we heard read this morning, is loaded with images. And this morning, we will. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to try to do is not to get stuck in the mud, as it so easily can be done when you are uh, speaking out of the book of Revelation. You can find yourself locked up in trying to define which details mean which, uh, what seven horns mean, what horns, and, and uh, what this means, and, and you get stuck in all the, uh, the details that you actually miss the bigger picture. So I'm going to try to stray away from it, but at the same time, after reading all this stuff, we have to get some context. And of course, we know if we want to dive in to try to uh, 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 decipher all these little images, we would be here for the rest of the day, and I know uh, for sure you do not want to spend a whole day here with me. It breaks my heart, but anyway, <laughs> I know you got better things to do. I will let you go. But anyway, no, no, let's educate ourselves rapidly about what's going on in this chapter. Let, let's try to absorb and pull out the bigger picture here. Number one, one, one of the things is let, let's try to identify what we what we heard. Identifying the sea beast, or the beast that came out of the sea. Here's what we heard. Uh, We heard that, number one, the beast came out of the sea. The beast had ten horns and seven crowns. The beast had blasphemous names on the heads. The similarities to leopard, bear, uh, bear, lion, dragon gives the beast power. One head was fatally wounded. The wounded healed and amazed the world. Man worshiped the dragon via the beast. And authority, the beast controlled over 42 months. So basically, what we just read this morning is is broken down in uh, in these few things that I said. But you know, if we had no context to put these things that I said, that would just be like, wow, you know what? I'm just going to go home with a headache, throw in the towel. This is crazy. This is nuts. I don't even get what you're talking about. But praise be to God, we do have a book in the Old Testament that gives us perfect context of this very chapter. It is the book of Daniel, the chapter 7. The 7th chapter of the book of Daniel. It actually explains what this image is all about. So Daniel had a dream, and in the dream... Daniel actually saw four beasts, and the first beast is again, as, uh, according to Daniel, like a lion, and that lion represents, at the time, according to the vision, the government. It was the kingdom that they were living in at the time, Babylon. So that's what beast number one represented. The second beast was a bear in his vision, which represents the next kingdom. That was to come after Babylon, which is Medo-Persia. Of course, beast number three, thing representing the next kingdom that would to follow Medo-Persia, that we would know as Greece. But now there's a fourth beast that he saw in the vision, and that beast was a little creepy. And, and that beast looked really, really weird, with all the weird characteristics and the descriptions, the weird, the many heads, and all this crazy stuff. So Daniel 7 described this beast, likewise, it had ten horns, spoke vocally, just like the sea beast we see in the New Testament. That, that beast actually waged war against the saints, just like the beast in the Revelation did. And that beast actually ruled over the saints for time and time and half a time, similar to what we saw at the Beast of Revelation. So may I suggest to you that according to Daniel 7, this fourth beast is describing this very beast that we just read in chapter 13 this weird sea creature beast. So Daniel is giving us the context of a vision. So these beasts don't really stand for this weird kind of thing that probably is going to be flying around with seven heads or anything. It's describing these kingdoms that were. And that fourth kingdom would have stand for Rome. And which would make a lot of sense Because at the time, Rome was extremely domineering, was extremely aggressive, and Rome uh, um, occupied, like, uh, 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 the the way it uh, described exactly the image and the characteristic of this fourth beast. Very, very aggressive beast. But, you know, this is as deep as I'm going to go as far as, like, trying to dive into the, the explaining, the details, what they represent, and all this crazy stuff. Uh, Super Bowl is coming. I know we got to get out of here. So let's, let's keep moving forward. So, uh, uh, so but here, here's, the, here's the thing. What, what really jumps out to me is this. Not all the image in what they represent, but instead is looking at the similarities of the beast explained with Jesus Christ himself. That's what really grabs my attention. Try, try to see the similarities. Here's the sea beast. The sea beast starts from water. Jesus started his ministry with baptism from water. The sea beast is one with the dragon. Jesus is one with the father. The sea beast has power from, got the power from the dragon. Jesus grabbed his power from his father. The sea beast wears crowns. Jesus wears the crown of victory. The sea beast has horns. Revelation talks about Jesus having seven horns. The sea beast rules for 42 months. Jesus' ministry was three and a half years, basically the very same time frame. The sea beast received mortal wound. Jesus had mortal wound. The sea beast, they worshiped. Him, after death, while Jesus rose from the dead and was worshipped. And one of the qu- crazy questions that is asked in chapter 13, I don't know if you remember it, it says like, who is like the beast? Remember that same question in Revelation? Who is like our God? Now, now, now try to picture the two major similarities from the beast to Jesus Christ himself. To me, when I read this, I was just like, wow, you know what? I don't have to be afraid of this thing anymore. That says it all. There's something really big going on in the background of this stuff. I don't have to worry about all this beastly language anymore. I think, I think that settles it for me. What we see in chapter 13 13 guys is that the sea beast is a deceptive impersonation where he is attempting to replace Jesus Christ with a person or a system to save. And you know that the, the enemy is so cunning, he knows quite well that we as human we love images. We love to identify ourselves to things that we can touch and see and connect with, to seeking for something, anything outside of Christ, to put our faith in to save us. And therefore, the sea beasts take that very same identity just to camouflage Jesus Christ into him. So I believe chapter 13, although extremely strange and complicated, as it may seem, set the stage to remind us of what is really, really going on here. That the dragon, remember the dragon chapter 5 represents the devil, pass on the authority to the beast, the beast actually, as the four beasts, represents the government or the kingdom. And then ended up, it says in chapter, verse 8, that all worship the beast, I mean the dragon, via the beast. Here's some crazy, scary stuff. The book of Revelation, if you were to break it down to one main theme, as we've heard, is who will you worship? That's the main question. Who will you worship? And the beast knows it. At the end of the day, that's what really matters, nothing else is who will we bow down to? So this morning, to put this into context, I will take a journey with us. And journey, we will go as far back as we possibly, possibly can. We will go to the eternity past. From eternity past, we will go all the way to eternity future. And from eternity future, we're going to take a trip back to the middle, to the story of where it all took place. You with me for this journey? You're seatbelt, because we're going to go a little fast on this journey. An eternity fast in verse 8 of this chapter that we, we read, and uh, uh, it gives us a glimpse of what happened in the eternity past. And I'll, I'll read verse 8 for you. Uh, here's what it says all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast however it's all whose names have not been written in the lamb's book of life the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world remember this key phrase creation of the world So therefore, this book of life is not something in the future. It's something that was already there even before the world began. And it talks about the book of life is named the book of life of the lamb that was slain. The slain lamb. Well, what it's your brain a little bit is to think like, well, how could a lamb be slain before the creation of the world? Sin had not yet entered the world. The world. Why would that lamb be slain then? That makes no sense, would it? Well, what what happened is God in his infinite glory sees the end from the beginning, had already set up the whole system, sees the whole, he sees everything from the beginning. So he planned even after what has not yet had happened. Which oftentimes really creates a mess when you're trying to have a theological debate over this. It just makes no sense. But Christ, God himself, has already the, the Lamb has already been slain even way before sin entered the world, even before you came into the world, even before the devil thought he was going to trick Adam and Eve. So in the mind of the author, in the, the mind of God, the Lamb of God was already slain. The slaying of the Lamb of God, or what we call the Passion or Easter, was the plan of God before the universe existed, before man existed, before history existed, before sin came into the picture. That was already done. It is completed. God's story is finished. And that's one thing I love about Christianity. Because it gives me the assurance that I don't have to be afraid of something that is to come that I don't know about. He already said, Rico, this is the end. It's right in front of you. I'm going to share this secret with you. The plan to save sinners by the blood of the Lamb was in place before there were any sinners to even save. So since we have this piece of information, I would encourage us, let us not look at the world history or the news the same way that the unbelievers do. Because the unbelievers, those who do not have the secret that Christ shares with us, they don't see there's a plan. To them, everything is chaotic mess. To them, the world is falling apart. It's one disease after another, and now it's corona. Two years ago, I remember uh, Three years ago, we were in Haiti, and we were terrified over a Zika. Remember the Zika? It's already old news now, isn't it? It's one after another. And there was Ebola, and you name it, and it's war. It's it's, it's shooting. It's everything. It's collapsing. Everything is falling apart around us. But guess what? We who are the Christian, we know how it ends. So fear not. Take it to the bank with you. So therefore, we don't see, uh, uh, they don't see reality of uh, uh, of what really is to come. So I'm not afraid anymore. I am not afraid because I understand that everything ends up all right. Everything that happens falls to the plan. They are His plan. So now, from eternity past, before the foundation, The key word, the Lamb was slain. And now let's jump all the way to eternity future and see what happened. But now we, as we look further, and one thing that we see, we see a song that is being sung in the future. And if we were to leave Revelation 13 for a little bit and go back to Revelation 5, verses 9 to 10, there's a song that is being sung there that's quite amazing. And here's what the song says. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, or the book of life, and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation." You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Verse 12, in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Whew. Chapter 7 verse 10, even a couple of chapter later, says like a great multitude that no one could number cried out with a loud voice, like I'm speaking now, and they cried out in a very, very loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the song that is being sung in the distant future. So now we see before the creation of the earth, the Lamb slain. Now we see a song that is being sung and celebrating in the future about the slain lamb, so that brings it to perspective that all this weird imagery and all this story, what sits in the middle of it is basically this lamb. That's the important part here. I remember I was a really, really young kid. When, when I remember learning about the eschatology or the, the study of the end time or revelation for the very first time, I was scared. <laughs> I was terrified. I'm not a, I'm not a coward guy, right? Not, I, don't, I don't get scared for any. I'm from Haiti. Go figure, right? We're, we're not afraid. But, man, I was scared, terrified, because of when I started hearing all this crazy stuff, I was just like, wow, man, I don't know how it's going to happen. But, you know, the moment I started learning, just like, what is the purpose of all this stuff? All this information being shared with us, when it was narrowed down, it's just like, Rico, don't have to be afraid or worry about all this stuff. The story is about the lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ himself. That's the center of the whole thing. So be strong and courageous. So in, in eternity past, the plan was the lamb of God be slain. So that in the eternity future, the Lamb of God, uh, the slam, slain Lamb of God, will be worship, praised, sing, triumph. That's the mind of God. So let's go back in the middle now. In the center point of human history. Something wonderful, that's where it took place. That's where all the action happened. And we will see, it says, we will see... M of God actually slain in history outside of Jerusalem by Pontius Pilate. So we read in the the gospel of the book of John, the same John who wrote Revelation, he wrote a gospel and here's what John said. John said that John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples and John the Baptist looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and here's what John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. John chapter 1, 35-36. And so now we know, all this time we're talking about the slain lamb, but we never put a name to it. Now John the Baptist looking directly at Jesus and said, Behold, this is him. That's the Lamb of God, there he is. Put a name into that image we've been talking about. And then John went even further to resolve what the Lamb actually fulfilled the plan. In John chapter 10, verse 18, he goes this way. The scripture I'll read for us. He says, no one, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I love this part. But I lay it down of my own accord. I, Jesus said, have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, and then on the cross, we watch Jesus, even in the most horrible moment of his life. Bring it all to completion. I love that part when Jesus said, I lay my life down. Voluntarily did But at the same time, the enemy thought they defeated Christ. But Jesus said, no, this is a plan. I'm following the plan all the way to completion. I mean, it it is so powerful. Like, even a simple tiny word called I thirst. Remember this statement? One of the seven words of Jesus on the cross? I thirst didn't come by accident. Jesus know that it was all finished. And as the scripture says, to fulfill the scripture, right after he says to fulfill the scripture, his response is, I thirst. Just to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And of course, after he did, he was supposed to drink from the sour wine and they put it hyssop, hyssop branch and to him. And after that, he decided to say, now it is finished. He and gave up his spirit. He gave up the was slain on schedule, on point, as planned. From the beginning of the world. But we, that's where we live. And that's where we came to be part of this wonderful story. That's where we were purchased, is in the center of it all. When Christ actually gave out his last breath, in the center of this story, where the lamb was actually slain, this is where you and I come and be part of this wonderful thing. Ephesians chapter 525 explains it this way. Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. So the slaying was for the purpose of giving his life for you and myself. And he gave it for the church, his bride. He was slain and by his blood he obtained that bride. And Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 6.20. He says, you were bought with A price, a high price that is. The price of the slain lamb. So at the center of the history, guys, you and I are purchased. From the past to the future. And he brought you in in the center. So to summarize the three times period, which give us a central picture of this story that we are part in, Today, which is called his story, not ours, it's his story. Number one is the central plan of the universe from eternity past is the lamb slain. That was the central plan from eternity past. Number two, the central song of the universe for eternity future is the slain lamb. And number three, the central act of God in history is the slaying of the Lamb of God. At the end of the day, this whole thing has to do with Him. That's it. And the whole point is, it's just like, guys, I just want to warn you that the enemy is trying to replace me with his image, mimic me as close and detailed as possible. And the more and more we see that governments of all nations are well, basically doing one thing is turning away from the lamb that was slain with every single policy with every single decisions these decisions are showing signs that hey worship the beast instead everything you need you can find inside that beast your financial security is in here your health is in here. We're trying to develop things that you will not die, that you can continue to live and live and live and live forever. That's what the beast is telling us. Everything you ever wished for, we have it in here. So no need to look any further. That's the trick of the enemy. But what I find that's really important to me among all these images is that Jesus remains the hero of it all. Jesus is the hero of this dramatic scene. Jesus is the hero according to Daniel. That Jesus is the luminous and divine glory who by his resurrection seized the the, uh, death key and now walks among his churches. In the previous chapters of Revelation we saw that. It let us know that Jesus is the Lion of Judah who conquered by being slain Jesus is the Redeemer. He redeemed his people from all of earth's people. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. At the end of the day, the whole story revolves around Jesus. And the question is, who will you worship? But at the same time, even this week, I was having a conversation with a very, very good friend of mine, um, Actually, a friend of mine who uh, is uh, in seminary, who's uh, doing all this Bible, um, educating himself in in the Bible with a view focusing on ministry, and my friend called and said, Rico, you know, I I need a good time counselor. I said, why? What's going on? He said, man, I'm just doubting my faith, man. I said, you got to be kidding me. That's the wrong place to be doubting your faith. I mean... You're in the center of you studying this thing day and night. What is going on? Is said, like, it's not making sense to me anymore. And I was taken back to realize how this dragon is alive and well trying to shift our sight from he who shows us the future to the temporal that makes connection with us as the image. But my encourage, encouragement to us as we conclude this is. Don't be intimidated by brilliant people who actually live in the dark of this history, of this story. Because in my opinion, if if you have seen and know these three things that we shared about this morning, the eternal plan of God, the eternal song of God, and the all-defining, central act of God in history, I believe you know the most important thing in the world. Nothing else. And I think that's the reason, before Christ left, he knew it could have been challenging for us. He knows we love images, connect and touch, identify with. So he left us with something extremely unique. He left us with communion. Just so that every time we come close to the table, we touch, smell, we savor, we commune together. And he says, you will remember me until I come. And that's what he says as the risen lamb. He says to every one of us in Revelation 1, from Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus said, listen guys, I died, and see, I'm alive forevermore. It's an image I want to remember in your head. Because he moves on to Revelation 5.5, 5, and he was explained to the elders, and John said, uh, said, weep no more. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And again, in Revelation 22.7, in the future, it says, like, the Lamb of God says, see... I am coming soon. I want you to see this. I want you to see that I am alive forevermore. I want you to see that the line of Judah has conquered. I want you to see that I am coming soon. I want you to see the Lamb of God for who He is he, Jesus Christ. Himself, let us pray. Father, we live in a world of so many distractions. We will think of a million different things before we even think of you. It's easier to uh, check what our friends said about us on Facebook early in the morning before we even say good morning to you. That's how distracted we are in this world. This morning, Father, you want us to remember one thing. That it's all about you at the end of the day. There's no accident. Whatever it is that happens to us happens according to a plan well defined. And we are not to be afraid or dismayed because you are in control of it all. So many things happen, God, that seems to be outside of our control. Fear, insecurity just come inside of us and we feel like giving up. We don't understand but God, above it all, you, you want us to remember before the world was created, it was about you. When it's all said and done, it's over, it will always be about you. And it was about you that brought us in. Therefore, all we have to do is to keep on holding on to you. And thank you, Father, for this picture that you gave us through Peter. As you called him out to walk on water toward you. That as long as his eyes was focused on you, he kept walking. But the moment he doubted and moved his eyes away, he sunk. And this morning, thank you God for this revelation of this strange chapter in this strange book, but yet you show us the light that it is all about you. In your name, we pray. Amen.